She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I have on occasion had people come to me to borrow money or wanting me to help them out of a jam in some way. And I've always handled that the way that my dad taught me, which is never loan money to friends that you intend to get back. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose their salaries or their spending and saving habits. Even in the strongest friendships, there's an imbalance when one person is better off financially. Whether you're the friend who has the cash or the friend that needs it, money or lack of it constrain a relationship. Now, I'll get this one, and I don't want to fight out of you. Save it for your down payment. How do you split the brunch bill or plan for a trip when one friend is flush and the other's flat broke. Compared to my friends currently, I definitely feel like I have less money. Sometimes it's hard to keep my cool when a friend is really just being genuinely nice, like, oh, do you have another job yet? Oh, I'm just, like, curious, what's the job hunt like? And I'm like, please don't ask me that. Today we'll hear from two women in wildly different financial situations. You just heard from Sierra, who made $18,000 last year working two part-time jobs one of which she just quit so she could focus on finding full-time work in New York City. And then there's Audra, the woman you heard at the top of the episode. She's 36 and has a six-figure salary as the owner of a construction business. Let's hear from Sierra first. My name is Sierra Slaughter. I'm 25 years old. I live in upstate New York, and I recently quit my job, have mounds of student debt, and want to maintain friendships without having a lot of money to spend. Sierra has always wanted to move to New York City. But after graduating from college in 2016 with a degree in film and media studies, she didn't have a job and she didn't have prospects. So she moved home with her parents, who live two hours north of New York City. She got two part-time jobs, one as an assistant at an independent film festival and another one working the box office of a performing arts centre. Each job paid $11 an hour. Her paychecks were small, but she's lived rent-free for the past three years, and her parents pay for her food as well. She covers her gas, car repairs, and her cell phone bill, and puts $600 a month towards two student loans. She's built up her savings account to almost $10,000 by being incredibly thrifty at every possible turn. So I really try to be like, oh, you want to see this 7.30 movie at the mall, so it's going to be $15? Well, if we could just go like 5 o'clock and only spend $11, that would really help me a lot, which probably isn't even true. But in my mind, I'm like, hey, saving $4 here, $2 there, I hope that one day it's all going to add up, and then I'll be like, look at all this money I have. Sierra knows her friends, many of whom already live in New York City, are excited for her to move. They invite her to parties, on last-minute outings, and for weekends in the city. But they aren't always understanding when she can't afford to join them. It's just people that don't understand that. Like, oh, you have no job, and then people don't necessarily know that that means you also have no income. They're just like, you have free time, so now spend that free time and money with me. And I'm like, that's not how it works. When you don't have a job, you don't have an income. Like most 25-year-olds, Sierra's also frequently invited to weddings and to be in the wedding party. Being in weddings, 
is worse than being invited because you need to buy the dress, you need to buy a gift, you need to help with bachelorette parties or bachelor parties, and you have to help with rehearsal dinners, and you have to help with all of that, which is fine. I totally love these people. I really want you to get married. I'm super happy for you. So thankful that you asked me to be in the wedding. It's just like a cruel joke where it's probably the poorest I'm going to be in my life. Looking at social media where everyone else seems to have money to spare is discouraging for Sierra. It's like, how are all these people my age doing really cool things? They must have more money than me, right? Not necessarily. Almost 25% of millennials live with their parents. About the same percent have credit card debt and more than 40% are paying back student loans. Sierra doesn't have credit card debt, but much of her story is standard issue for her generation. Our next guest, Audra, is on a very different financial path. My name is Audra von Minden. I'm 36 years old and I actually own a construction company. Unlike many in her generation, Audra, who lives in Florida, graduated from college debt free. Her parents paid for her tuition with money they had set aside when she was born. She didn't have credit card debt either. She used her credit card just for small purchases and she paid it off in full every month. But Audra was ahead of her peers financially long before that. My dad was a wealth manager uh, from the time that I was 12, although he was always very savvy with money his entire life and mine too, for that matter. So he started teaching me lessons about how money works and how to make money work for you when I was pretty small. And I want to say I was probably five or so the first time that my dad started borrowing money from my piggy bank. And if he didn't have cash on him, he'd borrow money from me to take my mom out for dinner or whatever and pay me back the next day or a couple days later with interest. So I remember clearly one time him borrowing a $100 bill from me and giving me back $105. And that really lit a fire for me. And after that, it was continuously, you know, hey, dad, do you need to borrow any money? Because I'm flush with cash over here. And figuring out that I could make money just by having my money. So as long as I didn't spend it on other things, so it was available for those little loans, I would end up with more and more. And when I had my first job when I was 15 years old, you know, he started talking to me then about how to set aside however much I wanted to for my retirement, which seemed crazy at 15 to be thinking about retirement. But uh, he started those conversations early that the sooner that you start working on this and the sooner you start saving, the easier it'll be for you later. So I had my first Roth IRA when I was 15 years old, and uh, I've been working on expanding that literally ever since. Audra worked as a purchasing manager for a home builder after graduating with a degree in construction management. Through her 20s, as her salary grew, she kept her lifestyle consistent and her spending minimal while steadily increasing the amount she was saving. By age 28, she had $100,000 in investment savings. Her salary at the time was around $65,000. While she knew she was lucky not to have student loan debt, she didn't realize how far ahead of her peers she was. It felt at the time like we were all kind of swimming in the same ocean and had the same struggles. And I think I also assumed that more people were doing more than they were. We didn't discuss it a lot, but 
I thought that I knew that everybody saved at least a little, even though I probably do a little more. And uh, I've learned since then that that's really not the case and that that was really when things started to change, I guess, in, in terms of a difference between me and the people I was close to, even though I really wasn't aware of it at the time. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. When Audra lost her job in 2008, she decided to start her own home renovation business with help from investors. In 2016, she relaunched the business with no outside money. This year, Audra expects that business to make $3 million in gross revenue. But despite her company's rapid growth, Audra has continued to keep her living expenses modest. I think it would surprise a lot of my friends that up until literally last year, I was living on 70K a year pretty easily and still even within that being able to save quite a bit of money. And everything that I earned in excess of that, I put directly into my brokerage accounts uh, to work toward my goals of expanding my business as well as building my dream home. While Audra's very comfortable financially, she knows that's not the case for all of her friends. I try to be generous where it's appropriate. And when I go out for dinner, go out for drinks with friends who I know are struggling, you know, just had a baby or are having their their own financial situation that I'm aware of, or even some people that I know it's just on the income that they have right now, going out for dinner and dropping a hundred bucks is a stretch for them. I do, I try to be generous and pick up tabs and, and do so in a lighthearted manner that, you know, no, it's, I got this tonight. It's my pleasure. I wanted to take you out. But her generosity and her growing business haven't gone unnoticed by people around her. And occasionally her generosity with one friend has caused friction with another. I have had a couple of times where certain girlfriends have questioned kind of like, well, I see you pick up a tab for someone else or being generous with other people. And it doesn't always seem like you're that way with me. I have on occasion had people come to me to borrow money or wanting me to help them out of a jam in some way. And I've always handled that the way that my dad taught me, which is never loan money to friends that you intend to get back. Though she's managed to maintain most of her friendships, Audra isn't exactly sure how to talk to her friends when the topic of money comes up, whether they're asking for a loan or advice on their own finances. I've had to struggle through a lot of these things. So a lot of times, even when you're trying to offer something helpful or you know that you can help someone, it's hard to find the right words or learn how to communicate in a way where it can actually be received in a useful way. Like Sierra, Audra asked for advice on navigating her friendships while continuing to do what's best for her own bottom line. While they're starting their conversations 180 degrees apart, the communication tools they'll need are actually quite similar. Today's expert has been in both of their shoes. At 22, she felt guilty every time she spent money. Ten years later, she's the friend who has a handle on her finances. Hi, I'm Stephanie O'Connell, author of The Broke and Beautiful Life, and I talk about all things work, worth, and money for ambitious women. So, Stephanie, let's start with Sierra. She's on $18,000 a year. 
She's clearly frustrated by friends who keep inviting her to join in activities that cost money. She's not alone there. It's a conversation I had when I was younger. It's a conversation women all over America are having. How do you make that conversation less awkward? Well, the first thing you can do is be the planner. If you're the one who says, let's get together, you have more options to dictate what that looks like, whether that's a potluck or a walk in the park or something else that's really within your budget and within everybody's budget. And if she takes the reins on planning the activities, that makes it less awkward than, say, someone planning already a dinner out and then you saying, oh, let's potluck. Uh, If you're setting the terms from the start, it's a little bit crazy a little bit less friction with your friendship. And what if she does decide to go out and she sets a $50 spending limit for herself? Then she's at the dinner with a group and somebody's ordering expensive wine and somebody else is ordering a load of sides. How do you say, guys, I just had a salad and a little bit of water here. I'm not going to go in on the group check. When you sit down, when the waitress or waiter first comes up, you can just simply request separate checks right from the start. You can say, are you are we good with doing separate checks? That way, it's not as awkward as if the meal's already over and it seems like you're ducking out. No, because you've already set a precedent when we sat down. And then you can also just say, you know, I think I'm just going to get a water and salad. So I might just, you know, Venmo you 10 bucks if that works. What about somebody who's not drinking? Alcohol is definitely adding to the bill. You don't want to pay for the wine when you're not drinking. Can you say, I want a separate group bill from the non-drinkers? I think it's, again, right at the start when you order the wine. I'm going to opt out of the wine. Is it all right if I just, you know, should I just get my own check or is it easier if I just pay cash? Again, it's not being like, I'm not going to pay for your wine. It's being like, oh, set the tone. what's easier for you? Make it about framing it. What's easier for them rather than what's best for you? Sierra also mentioned weddings. Those can be a minefield financially for the couple getting married, but also for the guests. A 25-year-old like Sierra is probably going to be invited to a lot of weddings and asked to be in a lot of wedding parties. Can she say no without offending the people who love her? So I think it's really important to understand what the bride's expectations are around wedding planning. And the way you do that is not to come at the bride with some kind of judgment about, you know, what are you expecting me to spend on this thing? It's more coming at her with excitement. I'm really so happy for you. I'm so excited to celebrate. I would love to hear what you're thinking in terms of bachelorette party, dresses, showers, anything. And I want to get my budget together so I can be there for as much as possible and being really open and transparent about that. And framing the conversation then around what you can afford to partake in rather than what you can't do. Is there, is, is, if this is, we're getting into dicey territory, is it okay for a bridesmaid to say that my budget allows me to go to the wedding but not the bachelorette? Absolutely. You know, we really back away from uncomfortable conversations. And trust me, I understand. But we should be more uncomfortable about putting ourselves into further debt or putting ourselves into a precarious financial situation than we are about having a hard conversation with someone who should be one of our best friends. Do you think it's okay for somebody to say, I would love to be a bridesmaid, but I just can't deal with the extra expense. Can I just be a guest at your wedding? Is that also an okay conversation to have? Absolutely. And you can also frame it around what else could you contribute instead. Don't make it about what you can't do because you, bride, are being, you know, too expensive. Make it about, I care about you. I want to support you, but I need to do it in a way that aligns with my budget. So let me figure out how I can do that. 
That's great. So we've told her how to save money when she's out with her friends. We've told her how to save money as a wedding guest. But if her only income is from a part-time job that pays $11 an hour, it seems like saving a little bit here and there isn't going to get her very far. Exactly. You can't out-frugal your way to rich, right? You can't just keep cutting and cutting and cutting. So I think it's really smart that she's built up this savings and is staying on top of her debt. What we need to see is her income going up because unless that happens, we're not going to see forward progress. What if she just bites the bullet and moves to New York City? People who are hiring in New York City might be overlooking her now because it's easier for them to hire the person who's already here, who can start tomorrow, who doesn't have to move and find an apartment. Yes, the move would eat up a lot of her savings, but she could find a job in New York while she's looking for her dream job. At the same time, she could try to find a side hustle in the film industry. So she's getting that experience while she's looking. If she does move to New York City, what a wonderful place to be doing a side hustle. If she's in videos, she could do wedding videos. There's just so many ways of using her creative skill set to earn money, but it's really hard to do that if she's only working part-time, if she's living with her parents upstate where there may not be as much opportunity. Whereas if she's here, if she's working full-time somewhere and then side hustling in a more creative capacity when she has the time, that's going to be a really valuable way for her to get the skills and experience and network that she needs. So if she has $10,000, is that actually enough? I know it's a lot of money, but I'd hate for her to underestimate the cost of rent or utilities or subway or even the cost of food. They're things she's not paying for now. And I just know personally, New York is a very expensive city to move to. I think you're right that people tend to underestimate it. And I think there's an idea of I've saved up $5,000 or $10,000, but we kind of pick that number out of thin air instead of actually speaking to people and then figuring out what their expenses were, how much they actually cost, and then running the numbers. So she'll talk to her friends who live here about the high costs. What are the least expensive neighborhoods? How much is their rent? How much do they spend on groceries? We know that her parents are paying for her food right now, so she might not know how much they spend, but whatever it is, groceries are going to be more expensive in the city. Um, She should talk to a few friends because everyone's rent is different and some rents will include utilities or the internet or a gym in the building and some will include nothing at all. Speaking of rent, when she does get an apartment, it's probably going to be unfurnished. Would a furniture rental company be a good option for Sierra rather than spending more of her savings buying furniture? They charge, you know, let's say 100 bucks a month for a piece of furniture. But, you know, for $100, you could buy something used, yes. But, you know, you want to make sure it doesn't have bed bugs. Right. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with buying secondhand furniture. And again, we live in New York City. There are a lot of people with a lot of money who are constantly just putting things <laughs> into thrift stores. So exactly. go thrifting. So renting furniture works if you want to try out an accent chair and see if it works in your living room but not if you want cheap furniture. There's better options. A hundred percent. The other thing is when you do make that move, you don't have to have everything in place all at once. Right. You don't have to move in with a full set of furniture. Make a list of what you need from the most important to the least important. Put a bed right on the top of that list because you should get that right away. But, you know, for example, you can use a stack of books as a nice stand until you get a full-time job and have more money for furniture. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. So we told Sierra how to deal with friends who assume she has money to split the check. Let's talk about Audra. She's making six figures. 
She's super successful financially, but that success has led to encounters where friends don't just want to split the check. They expect her to pay the whole tab. What's going on there? comes around expectations maybe that your friends have of you because you earn more money. Maybe they feel like you should be the one picking up the check. Uh, I would say that nobody has any right to tell you how to spend your own money. Agreed. So if Audra wants to see a friend who once said she should pick up the tab, maybe with that friend, Audra suggests they cook dinner together. So there's not that moment where the check comes and the friend is looking the other way and not reaching for her wallet. And when Audra wants a nice dinner out without that awkwardness, she can invite the friends out who never made it weird. Sometimes it's not about the the company you keep. Sometimes it is about the activity. So you got to think through both situations. If I want to go see Hamilton, I'm not expecting all of my right. friends to buy $600 tickets, but I have to be okay with going alone. If I want to go spend time with all my friends, I can go do something that works for all of their right. budget. So you got to prioritize the activity or the company. There's been times where I've wanted to go to to do things that come with a hefty enough price tag, right? Whether that's going to see Hamilton or a really nice restaurant. But if I'm inviting a friend in that situation, I'll say going into it, it's on me. Tonight's my treat. But you don't want that to be the expectation, right? It's lovely to treat your friends, but if they are expecting you to pick up the tab every time you go out, (laughs) it's really not a good friend. Audra's obviously smart about money. And if she wants to help her friends and give advice, how does she do that without coming across as smug or condescending? Two rules about financial advice. One, don't do it unsolicited. Right. Two, don't do it judgmentally. So if someone is coming to her and asking her advice about something, well, that's an obvious opportunity for her to share very honestly some of what she thinks and some of her experience. And a way of doing that non-judgmentally is by framing it through the lens of what's worked and not worked for her personally, rather than being prescriptive or judgmental about how that person is spending their money or saving their money or not. Right. You don't say you don't have an investment account. You say, this is how I opened my first investment account. Maybe if you're Audrey, you leave out that you were 15 when that happened, especially if the friend you're talking to is 35 and getting a later start. Exactly. So instead of putting her money into a savings account, Audra invested it and had $100,000 by the age of 28. Should our listeners be investing instead of saving? What buckets should they be putting their money in? Put the emergency fund first. It's right. that important. You talk about that all the time yep. at Glamour, that fallback fund. The fallback fund. To, if you lose your job, if you need to leave a lease, if you need to leave a relationship, that's so important for every woman out there, that fallback fund, right? Absolutely. And then I'm going to go into that high interest rate credit card debt. And obviously you want to be making your student loan payments, also making those minimum payments. Um, and then once you're on top of those things, you've got a financial foundation in place and you can start looking at things like your employer 401k fund. And that's what we're talking about the investing. That's when we're talking about the long term. And I love how aggressive Audra was and getting all of that $100,000 saved. Um, you know, the, the benchmark is having a year of your salary saved by 30 and retirement funds. That for a lot of young people today isn't possible because of the student loan debt burden. But it's just a good thing to keep in mind to think about how aggressively we should try to target those long term savings. So the buckets are pay off debt, Establish a fallback fund and invest long term for retirement. For a lot of women we've talked to, once they've started learning, pretty soon they feel financially literate when it comes to those first two buckets. But the learning curve is much steeper for investing. They're intimidated. What's your advice for those women? 
Well, start with the resources you already have at your fingertips. If you are traditionally employed and you have access to an employer-sponsored retirement plan, that's investing. If you can max out the 401k, you have an HR rep, they hand you the paperwork, mm-hmm. they basically do it for you. Take advantage of that resource. It's a, such a wonderful thing to have, and I'm jealous of anyone who has it because I never did. <laughs> um, so if you're self-employed, you have to take the reins a little bit more yourself, or you're working freelance, or you're between jobs. This is when you want to start exploring things like setting up your own Roth IRA or your own IRA. You learn about investing by doing it. So whether you're a Sierra or an Audra or somewhere in the middle, our best advice is to talk to your friends about money. Tell them your salary, what you pay in rent and how you asked your boss for a raise. You talk to your friends about sex. You talk to your friends about period cramps and embarrassing family members. The only way to make uncomfortable conversations less awkward is by having them over and over and over again. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit glamour.com money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Recording help provided by Jeff Pram and Chris Marino. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Stephanie O'Connell and our guests Audra and Sierra for sharing their stories. <laughs>